Hey listeners and welcome to episode two of the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast. I'm your host Ben Hucker. With me today, one of Australia's most decorated sports photographers. How's this for a Rolodex of clients? Jacobs Creek Wineries, Alpine Stars Australia, uh, official photographer for the Sydney 2000 Olympics, Tennis Australia, Suzuki Australia, Melbourne Storm, Metal Militia, Krusty Demons, Nitro Circus, Yamaha, a lot, lot more, a lot there that I haven't listed. And if that wasn't enough, he's now the owner and creator of the Bells Beach Brewery here in Torquay. Jeff Crow, welcome to episode two of the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. Thank you very much, Ben. Great to have you here. Now, I'm not sure where to start, given your massive career as both a photographer and now a brewer. But let's let's start with the current conditions and the effects of Corona. How are you going in the midst of the current crisis with the Corona pandemic? Well, just to clear a few things up there, I, I don't brew. Uh, my two partners, who are actually the founders of the uh, of the company, are, the, are both the brewers. Um, the brewers are basically guys who are um, uh, celebrated cleaners. Like three quarters of all they do is sanitizing and, and, and cleaning. So I, I stay away from that. Okay. There so we go. More on the marketing and distribution side, you yeah. would say? Yeah, and, and running of the of the place as well. Yep, a little bit of Brewery 101 there for our listeners. Mm. And the current crisis, obviously you can't have the brewery, or the pub, do you call it a pub or a brewery? Uh, we call it uh, the tasting rooms or um, tap room. Tap room? Yep. So you can't really have people are here at the moment no we can't we can't pour a beer and people can't sit here and have a beer but we do plenty of takeaways and when people want to try a beer you know just have a taste we literally open a can and hand them a can but we can't we can't pour them a glass of a beer you can't pour them a glass at the moment no but they can have a taste yeah so in terms of plenty of takeaways plenty of home deliveries at the moment yep i actually noticed that you're doing a lot of takeaways and deliveries how's that going for you keeping us going is that something you did Prior to coronavirus, you did beer deliveries and no, no, that's 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 a new service that we started. We we've always done takeaways. Uh, Following that, we think we'll probably keep it once we get out the other side fully. Is, you know, ordering online, or we have a dedicated line that you can send a text to. Most of the times, we we bring the beer to. I had the other night. Um, a good guy over by the RACV who's going through growlers quite regularly. It's like a milk delivery service, so he leaves <laughs> two bottles out, and we put two two fresh bottles down on his porch. But he he sent a message through like at 10 o'clock on Saturday night, and at that stage I think we'd all had a few beers in us, and said, "No, nah, I don't think we'll be delivering beers tonight." <laughs> <laughs> and is this massive volumes that you're delivering each day? No. Like no, just a, enough to pay the bills. Enough to keep while the, shut down. Yeah, enough to keep the doors open. And even with the, the regulations changing during the week in Victoria, has that made any difference? I know it's none. Probably hasn't. No. But you still can't have people inside a venue, can you? Yeah. It's got to be ten people outside, maximum of ten outside. Or well, they um, they didn't allow restaurants, pubs, bars, or anything like that to open. So we're still many weeks away. A lot of people, as I was saying before, a lot of people in our field are hoping that the restrictions stay in place till we get to a time where when they do actually open up businesses you can have substantially more than the one person per four square meters. 
So just getting by on takeaways and deliveries at the moment. Have you in your career ever seen anything like this? <laughs> in terms of total business shutdown and... Uh, been in disruptive industries. I, I went from analog to digital in the, in the photo world. So what happened to archives? You know, I still have in a shed behind Bunnings. I still have a million plus transparencies and a million plus prints that actually aren't online. And nowadays, if things aren't online, they don't exist. So the, many of those businesses shut up almost overnight from the digital revolution. Back in the days when Kodak, mm -hmm. yeah, went from a powerhouse to to nothing virtually overnight. Mm -hmm when they stopped manufacturing film. So if we can go back, you know, that's a little summary of the coronavirus and its impact on your business. If we can go back a step, we, we can, there's a little hint of a, an accent in your voice. <laughs> you, just one? You're from North, North America, <laughs> just one accent. Yes. <laughs> Never mind our accents. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't hear an accent anywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, originally from California. California? Yeah. yeah. Born and raised in LA, lived in Northern California for a number of years before I moved out here. So up on the coast in Northern California, or no, inland? up in the mountains. Up in the mountains. A place called Mammoth Mountain. Mammoth Mountain. Mm. Um, and when did you come to Australia? The first trip out here was in '84. Spent six months here. Then again in '85 for six months, and then I moved out here full time in '86. So first trip, was that a family holiday? No, came out for work. Came out for work. What did you do for work? Uh, worked in uh, the ski industry. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Up at Mount Buller, Hopland. I was, I was based in... Seems a bizarre place to come for a ski. Well, I worked, I worked for a company that educated um, people on, on ski equipment. Yep. And I was out here on behalf of one of the manufacturers. And I was helping educate the people who would then work on your boots or work on your skis. Okay. And so you came out here to Australia at what age? Were you in 1984? Early 20s. Early 20s. And basically didn't look back or you met someone? Met someone. Met someone. That, 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 that old story. <laughs> <laughs> then, then he met a girl. Then yes. he met a girl. <laughs> uh, still with that girl? No. Did three, you end up getting married or? End up getting married. Three beautiful children uh -huh. that live in Melbourne. And how long in Melbourne? Oh, I was in Melbourne until 14 years ago when I moved down here. Okay. So you've been on the surf coast for 14 years. Do you want to maybe just take us through your, your career as a photographer? Where did your passion for photography begin? and? How did you take the leap from you know, working as a, a ski instructor or edu in education within mm. skiing and whatnot? How did you make that transition from there to photography and full time? Was it a gradual thing over a few years or? No, I'd, I'd, always, I'd always actually wanted to be a photographer and then I got sidetracked by, be, by being a, a ski bum for a few years and then the reality um, hit me living here where if the ski season goes for its full extent, it's 13 weeks. So you work three quarters of the year for a quarter of the year. Um, it didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. So with that, I reverted back to photography. 
and what sort of projects were you doing as a photographer back then? Was it different days back then? I mean, now everyone's got an iPhone and you know, the cameras are pretty good as they are on a smartphone, but back then was it only the, the odd person that you would meet that had a really good camera? It was quite it, much easier to make I, a name for yourself? It was, it was a different world. There were uh, definite generations and you came in a generation and, and it generally seemed that the, the guys in front of you, the, the older generation, you know, there were people that you looked up to and you respected and they felt that they had um, uh, an, an obligation to educate you and help you along. So there was a, a real good learning process in those days and it was it was all school-based then as well when you think about you know you're working with film you had to focus yourself you had to uh, set all the, the camera settings yourself nowadays you, the most expensive cameras you can buy in the world the best uh, you know sport or news cameras you can put it on an automatic setting and it will do everything for you yeah we've got continuous autofocus and semi-automatic focus and all sorts of yeah it, you guys never have used a light meter, have never um, um, set a camera manually. They just literally put it on an auto setting and off they go. So in those in those days and times, yeah, it was there weren't as many people, there weren't as many things to do, yep. and there weren't as many um, outlets for for images at that stage. I think yeah, I was very very fortunate to grow up then. And was there in comparison today? You know, there's probably 500 surf photographers, I don't know, on the surf coast, mm. just at a wild guess. Back in the day, it might have been three or four. Would, yeah. that, would that have been realistic? <coughs> yeah. I mean, there's uh, people have always wanted to be photographers and always had uh, photography as a passion. With social media and um, the internet, it, it means that pretty much anyone can become a photographer. And did you say you had formal training as a photographer, or yeah. were you just kind of self-taught? No, formal training. I did go to school, and funnily enough, it was in high school when I first started, which gave me my my passion. Um, it is testament to what good, um, passionate teachers can do. You know, I had an, had an amazing photo teacher who I went on and took some college with him because he was also a college professor in photography. But I got involved with the, the library side or the archiving of images through a project working with him and fell in love with that. And you know, for 25, 30 years of my life, I was a librarian. <laughs> How did you go about getting clients in the early days? So you spent a bit of time as a ski bum, but how did you say, when you put the foot down and said, no, I'm going to be a photographer, how did you go about it? Uh, had met a, a few people from a few little PR agencies at that stage. There was quite a um, a multi-tiered, you know, you had your top photographers doing advertising. And there was this um, amazing tier of um, PR and met some guys through an event somewhere, and don't even remember where, and they had some really good clients, including um, a wine company in Rutherglen, which I got to go spend a, a week on a winery shooting their annual report, which was a lot of fun, and did work with, um, back then they were called the FAC, Federal Airports Corporation, uh -huh. and the federal government owned the airports, going and taking pictures around airports, airplanes and stuff like that. That was a lot of fun. So your passion at the time was sports photography, but you've picked up 
some work in the winery industry and hmm. uh, sorry for the aviation industry yeah. was it yeah and then then what happened so I was shooting sport um, in the States and I was starting to shoot sport here and send it to the agency in the States that I worked with and then as networks happen they would then copy some work and send it to their London agency and then the London agency would copy their work and ended up sending it to a Melbourne agency which I lived in Ascot Vale and the agency so I've seen my pictures published going leaving Australia traveling around the world and ending back up in North Melbourne <laughs> and being published here so I went I started the other way I went to the guys in North Melbourne and helped them set up their business yep for a year and a half and then left and set up my own very good so you started your own agency how was it was it enough revenue and job postings there to pay the bills and very quickly save some money very quickly, very quickly. Yeah. so a lot different to today where you busting your gut to even get a portrait session with a, yeah. with, a with a corporate client yeah uh, rates have only gone down in the last 15 years you're paid more for images published uh, for assignments 15 years ago than you were now, than you are now. Yeah. And today, are you still doing some photography? I know you do a little bit of work with the Krusty Demons. Yeah, um, I, in the last year, I, I still have a contract with the Australian Paralympic team, mm -hmm. the Paralympic Committee, so Paralympics Australia. Uh, I was hoping that uh, Tokyo and August would be my, my last really big gig. Um, that's now that's, Not that's gonna happen. that's now been delayed a year. Yep. Um, still doing some quad bike stuff. Still, uh, we're quite fortunate that uh, the best motocross team and supercross team in the country is based here in Torquay. Which is which team is that? CDR Yamaha. Uh huh. Craig Dax organization. In a shed out behind Bundings. And one of the best race crews anywhere in the world. And so that, that's their HQ just yeah. behind Bunnings? Yeah. Okay. So we're quite fortunate to have those. So I've always, anytime the phone rings and says, can you help out? I'm, I'm always there. And who runs that team, did you say? Craig Dack. Craig Dack, yep. He's a big name in Australian motocross. He is. And supercross. So they're actually... Yeah, still do that. Still do that. I did Nitro a year ago, uh, the, the Australian uh, supercross. The, they had the big one at... Um, Marvel Stadium November last year. Yep. 50,000 people there for a motocross event. It was pretty cool. So you covered that. Mm -hmm. And the Nitro Circus, I think they had at Cadinia Park last year. Is that right? No, that was, was Krusty's at Cadinia. I, was, I actually wasn't in town. I was in... Somewhere else? I was shooting, I think it was in Darwin or somewhere like that. I remember getting messages from people going, are you around? I'm going, no. <laughs> They missed out on that one. I heard it was quite big. I heard of quite a few people that took their kids down and checked it out. So a massive event down at Skilled Stadium, or is it Skilled Stadium now? It changes every year. Yeah, GMHBA or something like that, I don't know. <laughs> Shell Stadium. <laughs> Cadenia Park's just fine. <laughs> yeah, Cadenia Park, we'll stick with that. So you had some big clients there throughout your career as a hmm. photographer. Is it fair to say that uh, times have changed like it's not what it used to be in terms of you know the manual photography and you spoke about having a real skill set not to say that photographers now that don't have a real skill set the skill set now is probably in the editing more so than anything else 
but times have definitely changed. Times have definitely changed, but there's still a lot of good photographers from the era which which I grew up in here that are still active in the in the area of sports photography. Yeah. It's just limited now because everything's online. There's not a whole lot of really nice published pictures anymore. You know, we used to have a lot of glossy magazines and a lot of space in newspapers for images and magazines within newspapers. But it doesn't seem to exist. Yeah, there's still quite a few surf magazines that have survived, but beyond that, I can't really think of, you know, Sports Illustrated and those big magazines. They're, they're long gone, aren't they? Mm. And your FHMs and all the rest and specialist men's magazines and sports magazines, they're kind of a lost art, aren't they? I mean, even even back in the day, we had a tenure run with Playboy, the agency did, and we supplied 12 to 14 pages of content every every month. But it was travel, sport, leisure, um, interviews. You know, they they published tons. They used tons of pictures, yeah. not, ju not just girls. <laughs> oh, Playboy was a huge publication, wasn't it? Mm. So that was a big publication. I don't know for for freelance writers to get featured in, you know, that was usually the beginning of their careers. Mm. If you could get published in Playboy, then you're yeah. off to the races, so to speak. Well, um, you know, music, if you get into Rolling Stone and you know, things like that. Um, the, the magazine that's still going is Inside Sport, and that was that was brought out of Penthouse, believe it or not. All right. Yeah. So the editor of, of, it was the editor of Penthouse, left there, and same company, same magazine group, and and they started Inside Sport. So when times changed for photographers, is that about the time that you got out and got into, started looking at the Bells Beach Brewery? No. no. Realistically, probably should have got out years before. But I'm too old and too stubborn and quite like what I do. When did you officially get out of photography, would you say? Uh, Even though you do a few yeah. projects here and there still? Uh, the last two years. Last two years. I've been saying it. Yeah. So you're saying you probably should have left five to ten years ago? Heyday for publishing for sport in this country sort of peaked at 2000. The, the, the money that was spent in this country going into the Olympic and Paralympic Games was phenomenal. Yep. And then the downturn after that. You know, the Hangover was pretty heavy within publishing and sponsorship. A lot of our stuff was, uh, our work was derived from sponsors. So going to an event, not necessarily for the event, but going there on behalf of a, of a sponsor, looking at an event a certain way. And the birth of Instagram obviously had a big impact. It's it's had a big impact over the last few years. Yeah. Yep. Not so much early days, but definitely yeah. in the last couple of years. Yeah. It's a place to be seen. Um, you know, I'm watching people on there now who are inter internet, um, Instagram, and photography gurus who only picked up a camera in 2005. Yeah. And they're wanting to charge people for their extensive knowledge. You know. So even starting in 2005, you would say that's still not quite enough experience, like a 15 year. Well, what was one the other day? 2009. So, you know, 11 years. But it's, it, I guess their expertise is as how they've used the, the photos on Instagram. Yep. As opposed to photography itself. 
Yeah, it's a different um, way to look at it, I guess. Someone like you who's had a, a career of 30, 30 odd years in the industry, and you've got people out there that have, you know, had a camera for five years and charging six thousand dollars for a wedding. That mm. must be outrageous for someone like you. Mm. But people still look at the photos and think that they're great, and and pay people the money. So. And there's still obviously a lot of aspiring photographers out there. Have you got any good advice for photographers as within the conditions that as they are now? Uh, work on the craft and not on your ego. That's that's the big thing. Is when I was coming through, you had to work your way to get to. Uh, grand finals to you know tennis finals to you know World Cup events to to Olympics. Now people pick up a camera, call themselves a sports photographer, and expect to be at all of the events, and it mm -hmm. just doesn't happen. So it's perseverance and less focus on your Instagram account and more mm -hmm. on the craft. Even shooting with manually, full manual, uh, even going back to film. Would you recommend that? No, but it's. There is a revival for that. Like there's a vinyl uh, revival at the moment. People's, you know, collecting vinyl. There's people going back to shooting film. I think the last roll of film I shot, I shot six rolls of film in Japan with Ian Thorpe in 2001. 2001. Mm. I was an early adopter uh, of, of digital. No, just had this idea that it was going to be a lot bigger than what everyone was putting it down to. So I went full digital in 99. 99. Yeah, in the lead up to the 2000 games. And we had 14 photographers there and there was one and a half photographers on our team on, on digital. And we fast forward two years to the Salt Lake City games, we were 100% digital by then. Yep. That's, so how, that's how quick. So it's pretty, pretty much adopt digital or get left behind. Mm. Must have been a pretty quick learning process. What did you do back in the day to learn about JPEG and different formats and high res this and low res that? Uh, exactly what you do with any of your equipment is you just sit down and you just waste a lot of time and energy and document everything. Yep. So if one of our guys would get a new roll of uh, a new flash, for instance, we'd give him a roll of film and a sheet of paper, right, one through thirty-six, and do your exact settings and exact conditions shoot all of those have the film process and then lay it out and see which ones worked and then you go back with another row of film and try and replicate those things so that you actually understood exactly how your your equipment worked and we just literally did that it was it's sort of scary i go give talks now i've got some quite famous photos from the the 2000 olympics that people see in my iphone and i don't have a current one shoots far bigger pictures and for almost better quality than the best digital camera did in 2000. Really? Mm. Okay. <laughs> and you must have, you know, obviously shooting at the Olympics and these motocross events, you must have come across some pretty big personalities. Like I imagine you probably came across Thorpe and those types in your career. Have you got any mm. good stories of interactions with the big superheroes of the Olympics or the motocross world or sporting world in general? Where there's, do we start? <laughs> I was going to say this. Where, one, where do you start? And two, how do I not get myself into trouble? No. Um, I've been absolutely blessed. If we were in this field, say, in 
in um, America, the access to athletes would be quite minimal. And in this country, your access to athletes is is quite what well, was. I'm sure it's going to it's changed a little bit with security, but for the most part, is is, is quite phenomenal. You know, from you know being on the teams and traveling around the globe with all these people. And once you had their confidence, everyone was fantastic. You know, I've had run-ins with ones, and we've had one of the best jobs I ever had was for 10 years I worked with the Subaru Rally team. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, a, uh, one of the characters, bless his soul, one of the most beautiful people you'd want to know, who's dead now, Possum Bourne. Uh, oh, Possum Bourne. Yeah, yep. New, New Zealand guy. He was fantastic to work with, but regularly you'd get into like shouting matches with him for no reason whatsoever. You know, he'd start shouting at you, you were standing in the wrong position. <laughs> and then two minutes later I said, oh, can I see the pictures? You know, can we run through this? Can we do <laughs> Um, so quite demanding, but also uh, the, it, probably the be, one of the best teams I've ever been in. Yep. Uh, this is the Subaru. Yeah, they had team. a huge success, didn't they? They did. Ten years, very successful. And um, the Group N driver Cody Crocker became one of my great mates. And there was a time where I got really pissed off with him, and he pulled into <laughs> he pulled into the pits, and he saw me running towards him, and got out of the car and just took off running. <laughs> and everyone's looking at me, just <laughs> going. I said, if he didn't get the website fixed last night, I was going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so this is back in the day, were you touring with the rally team all over the world? Uh, Asia Pacific. Asia Pacific, yeah. yeah. And these guys are high octane, I imagine, like very calculated, like the speeds they do through the bush, you know. It is, yeah, it's scary to watch sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely scary to watch. I've watched, uh, you know, uh, media rides where like a V8 supercar driver will get out of a, a rally car and start kissing the ground. Really? <laughs> they were that, they, they were they were so scared of what a car can do on the dirt, what the drivers can do. Yeah. So it's, how did you go about that as a photographer? I mean, you've got not even half a second to take a photo and they're gone. That's probably where I that's probably where I excelled, and, and is just you know I was the one who ran in to the jump because I would always get a picture from it, no matter what. There are some guys who are super creative. There are other guys who do do stuff, you know, with um, um, scenes or people or things like that. Mine was just capturing action. Yeah, I imagine it must have been a, a big skill set because, you know, motocross track, they do laps, they come back around. If you miss the shot, maybe you get it on the next lap. Uh, football, even sports, swimming. A well, lo local guy, uh, uh, I saw the photo in there of Stephen Lay from the World Alpine Championships in um, Vale and Beaver Creek shooting film. I had two frames left because he was pretty, pretty in, um, far down the field. And then in men's downhill, you could get one shot. And yep. uh, the position that I took, unfortunately, once you get into that position, you, you can't move was a blind, I thought I'd have more vision, and literally it gave me, I don't know, it was like 87th or 89th, whatever it was, it gave me 80, 80 times to practice the motion of trying to get it right, yep. and I got one frame, and it was, it's on the front cover of a magazine in the other room. Got one shot. Got one, got <laughs> one, one go at it, and then yeah. got the front cover. Yeah. I imagine that was, yeah, took a lot of skill, so 
you said at the start you moved down to the surf coast in Torquay 14 years ago. Did you ever move into surf photography or what brought you to Torquay? Uh, love of the beach, already had friends down here, it could be anywhere. My kids were on the western side of town. I was living in Port Melbourne at the time. I loved being by the water but wanted to be near a surf beach. And the nature of the business meant that nobody came to see you. Everything all your dealings were online. You get complete jobs of um, an email comes in, you you approve the the agreement, you shoot the job, you deliver it electronically, you deliver an invoice electronically, they pay you electronically, you never talk to a person, you never see a person. So we had an office and studio in Port Melbourne and decided to sell that up and move here. Move down the surf coast. Are you big on surfing? Big on surfing, not not good at it at all. Not good I, at it? Yeah. Got a big longboard at the back there somewhere? There's a couple of there. So. <laughs> Never had, so there's basically there's no need to have the studio in Port Melbourne, South Melbourne, so packed up and decided to move to the surf coast, Torquay. Mm -hmm. Been here 14 years. Are your kids down here as no, well? in no. Melbourne. They're in Melbourne? One in New Jersey. One in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. well, there we go. So you're going full, full scale, east coast, west coast. Hmm. Do you catch up with them much? Uh, obviously, at the moment, no. Uh, usually once or twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now restrictions have opened up. Might be a chance to catch up. Oh, the the kids in Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. Quite regularly, but. And they come down and see Dad at the at the brewery and on yeah, the coast and talk. They're they're all of drinking age, so yeah, it's, <laughs> it's nice it's nice to have Dad who has a brewery. Must be flat out trying to get them out the door. Mm. Like come closing no, time? No. We had uh, my middle daughter's 21st here in December and got a late license for the night. So we went to, we stopped serving at one, yep. but they were still dancing on tables at three in the morning and on, on the bar. <laughs> had a lock in, a proper lock in. <laughs> yeah. And I guess we've covered your photography, so if we could talk a little bit more about the Bells Beach Brewing Company and how that kind of came about. Obviously, is there a passion for brewing? You know, at the start you said you're not a brewer, but... No, there's a passion for beer. Beer. Uh, when I was looking to get out of photography and to stop traveling, I know people go, that sounds really tough, but after 30 years of just constant travel, yeah. it becomes very wearing. And, you know, to have a holiday, you stay home. And I'd I wanted to stay home a lot more. I had some changes in my life. And um, I started looking around, doing due diligence on um, a few businesses, and two of them, funnily enough, were, were beer, local beer brands. And um, these guys were looking for some investment to set up another project, and that project fell through. And I approached them, so I was more interested in the in the brand itself. And for me, it just seemed like all the things I was looking at. Um, probably the best opportunity to, to get directly involved and have your hand in something. And you know, part of the fun of setting up and doing a business is, is you know, making plans and seeing them through and watch, watching things grow. And of all the things I was looking at, this, this offered the most potential. And it came with beer. So <laughs> little bonus at the <laughs> end. Yeah. So did the tap room exist when you started? Is there no. a couple of other owners? Yeah, the, there's, there's the two founders, yep. Adam and Jono. Adam and Jono? Yeah. No. After I, after I got in, involved, the, we developed this place. Okay. 
So you, your part of your investment was building the the tap room here, which is quite a sizable facility. Hmm. With how many square foot with this shed bay? Quite a big shed. Ah, uh, uh, it's three thousand. Oh, sorry, sorry it's uh, three hundred square meters. Three hundred square meters, and you've got your little gallery upstairs, and yeah, I've got my own little private. That's a, a mini replica of a bar that I had in my house. Okay. And so the walls. Those photos were hanging up in the office in, in Port Melbourne, and then they moved to the bar I had in my house here, which is affectionately known as the Crowbar. The Crowbar. Yeah. <laughs> That's my pool table and aptly everything named. else. Aptly Yes, aptly named. The, the Crowbar had uh, uh, glass saloon doors with Crowbar logos made for them and everything. Oh, cool. It was very nice. I actually came to the brewery last year in January, and we ended up having quite a few beers and you were good enough to, I don't know if you remember, but mm -hmm. you are good enough to take me up into your gallery because we started talking about photography and yep. whatnot and you've got some sensational photos up there. Have you got a favourite among your hundreds of thousands of images that you've taken? Uh, favourite that I've taken or favourite that's that's in there? Favourite from your gallery here at the, the brewery? Favorite, uh, there's a famous photographer named Niels Leifert who was the guy who shot the photo of uh, Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston. He was considered the greatest sports photographer of the last century. Um, he gave me a print and, and, and signed it. Oh, cool. Yeah. What's his name? Niels Leifer. It's a picture of um, Wilt Chamberlain over Bill Russell, two of the greats of the game from 50s, I think it was, 57, yep. might have been. Wilt Chamberlain, so basketballer. Are you mm. a big Lakers fan, being from LA? Yes. Yes. Mm. I know she took a, took a deep breath there. Is that a? Well, I was just I was going to say it was the only LA team that I that I backed, but when Wayne Gretzky got traded to the the Kings, I then became a in the hockey. Uh, I followed the Kings for a while. Okay. It was only because of Gretzky. It wasn't because of their team. Yeah. You still keep track of your, your sports in North America? Have you become an Aussie Rules fan? Uh, Aussie Rules fan, but we we have a uh, one of the things we've done the last two years is we have a Super Bowl party here. So anyone oh, who's cool. who's keen, we have it on the big screen. I I cook and serve um, American hot dogs and hamburgers on the day for everyone who shows up. It's Very just nice. it's just tough for people in Australia to start drinking at uh, 9:30 on a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to be at work. <laughs> Although it wouldn't stop the local surfers around here, would it? So they could just say the surf's good and instead just be at Bells Beach Brewing Company. Well, it's it's um, it, it's getting bigger every year. Oh, it's good. Mm. So the Bells Beach Brewing Company, you've brought in your vision and your insight from business over the past 30 years. What do you think you brought to the table the most? You've obviously you've built a really good brand. It's a really recognisable brand. Well, and I know you lose imagery and photos on on your cans. That's, that's something I have never seen before. And we're changing the cans so the photos became even more of a feature on the cans. So watch the space. Yeah. Cleaning them up, working with the local designer, it's been fantastic. We milled around for ages trying to figure out what we were going to do, and then just hit photos. So even even the the layout and the the, the structure of this place. Um, my two partners are amazing individuals, but they're both engineers and not as visually minded as um, myself. And all you guys are full time? Yeah. Yep. Obviously taking a little bit of time out at the moment, I'd imagine. 
Well, we're trying to uh, keep a, a fairly good brewing schedule together, mm -hmm. and we don't think at this day and time we need to have everyone here every day. So Jordan's in here most days for a few hours, and then between the three partners we rotate. So the tap room's open from 12 to 6, 7 days a week for uh -huh. takeaways. Uh -huh. So we make sure that one one of the three of us that are here on a rotating schedule. You work two days one week, you work three days the next week. So you can still get your beer, your, mm. your fix. Now you've got, three, is it three tanks or four tanks down there? Uh, four big ones, uh, two medium and three smalls. It's a pretty impressive display when you walk in. I remember that when I first came here last year in January. It's just a really impressive setup. Kind of gives you the feel. It's a bit of a little creature's feel, but a bit more boutique and a bit more hardcore down on the surf coast. So you were here at night, weren't you? Yeah. So you got to see that. That was the full effect they were looking for. The the lights uh, lighting up the, the fermenters being your back bar. The beautiful lights around the bar itself was the only light, and then the and then a few festival lights. It's it's absolutely fantastic. That's that was the vision, and when we pulled it off, we were absolutely over the moon and then we came back the next day and looked at it and went it's actually quite ugly during the day <laughs> <laughs> i remember bringing mum and dad here as well during winter and they were, they were a bit worried about um you know coming to an old cold shed tucked away out the back of a laneway but they came in and even they were so impressed as well because you had the heaters pumping the doors down the footy on the big screen it was magnificent mm -hmm. it's such a good atmosphere so well done on creating that atmosphere. So everything everything we do is we do something like the beers that we brew may not win awards because they may not be boutique enough or craft beer enough, but we, we brew beers that we actually enjoy drinking and enjoy drinking more than one of them. We created an environment that we wanted to hang out in. You know, what would we like to what would we like to see, what would we like to do? Yep. So if people enjoy that then that's that's fantastic. If they don't, well <laughs> We still created a place that we like. Go to another brewery. <laughs> so that's part of your strategy, like you are the customer, basically, mm -hmm. and you set it up in that way. I know yeah. that was a big part of Rip Curl's philosophy for many years. They were the customer, mm -hmm. and they thought about what they would want as customers. After sales service and other things were a big part of that. So what's your vision now for the, for the brewing company? Obviously, it's a little bit of a funny period at the moment, to say the least, but what's the vision going forward? Uh, the, there's a visual one that I said we're working with, just cleaning up. There are not going to be major, not major differences to the cans, but there's going to be we're doing something to them to actually highlight the fact that they are a photo. They're not digitally created. They're not um, a vector or anything like that. They're literally photos that I've gone off and shot in the, at the breaks. Um, that that whole project. So it's almost like a rebranding is going on right now. We've got a few new exciting beers coming. The beers, every time we launch a new beer, it seems seemingly very successful. So we've got a few in the in the pipeworks. Um, longer term, uh, getting to a spot where we probably had the COVID-19 not hit, we probably would have looked at another facility, another brewing facility by the end of the year. By the end of this year, mm. yep. Leave this as is yep. and set up a, a spot because we're limited by um, uh, tap room hours. We can't operate the industry with the with the retail 
sector of the business. Okay. So we have to shut everything down back there to open up the tap room. Right. It would be nice to be in a place where the brewers are also, when they're brewing and doing stuff, they're quite messy. Yep. They're loud, they're noxious. You know, yeah. Put them in their own shed so they can <laughs> be loud and noxious and carry on seven days a week and not a, not affect us. So that's the staff, not just the bits and parts and pieces, <laughs> and <laughs> or both. Well, probably both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine it's a pretty complex licensing arrangement. So, do you consider yourself a hospitality business, or do you consider yourself one a hospitality business and then two? And a distribute, distributor? Uh, first and foremost, uh, a beer company. First and foremost, that's that's the first and foremost thing on our mind. Yep. The tap room is a secondary thing. Yep. How we treat people, how we how we deal with them, the setup itself is within the, the structure that we want. But, um, yeah, I think we're technically classified with a council as a tavern. I think a tavern. Yeah. So if you put one chair in or one bar stool and you sell, sell one beer and you have one tap, you're classified as a tavern. Okay. So for us, the, the production of, of the product is, is just as important as uh, selling the product. Yep. Have you got any marketing wizardry or advice that you could pass on to um, aspiring brewers or people who want to run a hospitality business? Now may not be the time to get involved. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it now. Or if, you, if you're very cashed up, wait about a year and there'll probably be a whole bunch of businesses for sale. Yep. Yeah. Is there a, a lot sadly. of capital required up front to get into a business like this? Yes. This is a pretty sizable setup, I imagine. Mm. We have a handful of um, really good investors. They're good people to work with, They're very supportive. You know, when this whole thing happened, the very first thing we did is contact them all and say, this is what our plans are, this is what we want to do, and you know, got a thumbs up of support from everyone. So, so these are silent investors around mm -hmm. Torquay or all over Victoria? Most of them are either Torquay or Geelong. Okay. And how did you go about putting together a group of investors for and you sort of share your vision for a business and trying to make that happen and raise capital. Is that difficult or is that just based on your network of contacts that's built up? Mainly network of contacts. Yeah. yeah. Just people that had faith in you from the get-go and hmm. knew what you were about. And how long has it been going now? We opened our doors here December 2018. December 8th, 2018. Oh, so that's quite recent, isn't it? Hmm. So we're looking at your two-year anniversary, December this year. Any big yes. plans for that? Well, hopefully we'll be able to have a lot of people here. Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. Fingers crossed no second outbreak, as mm. people are talking about now. Hopefully we can safely sort of get back to normal. Yeah, we'd like it, you know, we've, we've had some larger community events here and stuff. We'd love to have on the, on the 8th, um, movie playing outside, you know, people in the car park here playing cornhole, sitting in the sun, listening to music and you know, eating good food. Yeah, I definitely can't wait to get back in some warmer weather later in the year and when everything's back to normal, fingers crossed. And you get that guy too with the burger cart. We had a, a couple of local people with, with burgers. Yeah, yeah, I remember that distinctly last time as well. That mm. was magnificent. So, and he's a local guy too, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Well, so. 
try and try and do as much as we can locally. Yep. And how big is your team? So you must have a band of staff that work. Obviously, not big at the moment. Are they no, job keeper at the moment, or are they? No, we're yep. we're very very lean. Yep. I have probably too many hats. Uh, we have two guys who are casual who helped out behind the the bar. Uh, unfortunately, neither of those guys qualified for JobKeeper. One's gainfully employed somewhere else, and the, and the other one um, hadn't been with us for 12 months, hadn't been on the book for 12 months, okay. which we, we w really wish they had, you know, redressed that one. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot of seasonal or transient employees yeah. down here who, get, who miss out. Do you get a lot of guys coming in over summer, and then they take off to places like Mount Buller to... Oh, well, customers, yes, but yeah. uh, no. We're very, very stable um, staff here. That's good. So it's mainly the, th the three uh, directors and Geordie. Yep. Who you met before. Do the investors come in for a drink? They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Make sure everything's... Yeah, they do. They've been coming through and collecting, you know, uh, six packs here, six packs there. Oh, good. And paying their bills as they go. They're good. <laughs> They're all very good about it. That's good. Is it multiple investors or is it just a handful of guys that just a handful. got together? Yeah. yeah, it's good to know because yeah, you kind of think of a place like this and you're pouring your life savings in, but it's good to know that you, there are people out there that are willing to chip in some money hmm. and make something like this happen. And I imagine for them it's just a fun project, is it? It is. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun project, but you know, at the same time it is a business and they do want to see a return. At the end of the day, it's a business, isn't it? It is a business. Is that part of your philosophy? You mentioned keeping a pretty lean team. Was that something you used to do as a photographer as well? Kept a pretty lean... Yeah. Yeah. And not on, not on purpose, though, but for necessity. Yeah, I believe if you're going to hire somebody, they might as well do their job. There's no, no use hiring somebody and then having to hire somebody else to do their job. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine if you had a staff of 20-odd people and cr something like corona hits, then you're in trouble, aren't you? So mm -hmm. it pays to be lean. But it, it also, it, you have to be economically sound. And now, so obviously you've got that foundation, you've got the, the investors, your marketing, you rely a lot on word of mouth and quality of product. Yes, and, so, and social media presence. So yeah. social media is a big part of what you do, hmm. getting involved, sponsoring events. Yes. So you, do you have a target market in terms of sponsoring events or you just like to get behind anything that's local? Uh, trying for more local projects yep. and uh, community-based ones. So uh, Cleaner Coast, from when they started, they're getting their act together, becoming a, a bigger probably a, a national organization at some stage, mm -hmm. but happy to give our resources, our time and, and, our, and our space any time that they need it. Um, we've done stuff with the Heart Foundation. Yeah, we had a function here it's last year. I think the girls raised nine grand for breast cancer awareness for an afternoon, which was a lot of fun. Nine thousand uh, dollars. Yeah. That's Sponsoring and helping the stuff for like, I think the boys at Bombors did a um, fundraiser for bushfires, which I think they netted like 40 grand on the day. 40 grand for that. Yeah. yeah. They're, yeah. 
any any place where someone says we we need a hand, we're quite happy in the community to do that. We've lent the space out here. We've had launches of motorcycles. We've had movie nights um, where people premiered stuff and had some weird offers that actually we were sitting here right now someone wanted to have a reception for their wedding and just have a place to have a first dance and all that so we were setting up on a Saturday <laughs> we weren't going to open for an hour to give them a run of the place yep and open up at, at one and just before 12 we're sitting up here and looking out the window it was just pocketing with rain yep. and going any moment now we're gonna get a phone call with that the phone rang can we have the wedding there <laughs> really? And this, this beautiful couple got married. Oh, you're kidding. The, with the door there. They made an arch out of that and literally got married right there. Right here. Yeah. So how many people did you ha have up here? There was about there? 40 people. Should mention for listeners, we're up here in the Bells Bridge Brewing Company. That This space would be what? 20 know. foot by, <laughs> by 10 foot? Definitely not big enough for the amount of people that were here. <laughs> and uh, didn't think that um, we'd be having people getting married in a brewery. We've thrown some pretty big parties and had a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah, we had a wedding and that came through from the um, visitor information. Okay, yep. The, the woman went there and said, do you know anyone in town who could help me out? This is the problem I have, I'm getting married on Saturday. This was a Tuesday. They said, go and see Jeff Crow. Yeah, <laughs> the, the boys at Bells, Bells Beach Brewing will pro might be able to help you. So is that if you put that on your website now? No. Wedding functions? <laughs> Weddings, parties, and anything. Yeah. Hold off on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't know how many of those we're going to have in our lifetime. <laughs> Talking of functions and beer and surfing and uh, the, the Rip Curl Pro, obviously a massive event down here on the surf coast. Unfortunately, it got cancelled this year. Mm. Have you had any parties post that after the event? Had any surfing pro surfers and whatnot coming back for parties after that? Uh, no, they... The after ones normally at uh, Bell's Beach um, Pub yeah, so, yeah, yep. in, in Janjak. Most of them stay somewhere in that in that region. Yep. Last year we hosted the Rip Coral Media Night. Oh yeah. yeah, those guys can party. They can, but they had had their company's 50th anniversary party ah. the night before and there were a lot oh. of people looking really sad and sorry <laughs> for themselves. So it was, of all the years I've gone to the, the media parties, probably the, Pretty time. Yeah, the most lax one I've ever seen. This year was supposed to be big and their newly renovated bit of their building. We're going to have our brewing truck there. And oh, they're nice. going to have, they were going to have, I think, 500 guests. 500 guests. Yeah. And then I, we're having the, the photographers uh, get together with Nikon um, uh, sometime during the event. We're going to have that on the, the first night of the comp and then on the Thursday, the second night of the comp, was the Rip Curl party. Oh, cool. Which obviously didn't go off. Yeah, I c could imagine it would have been the biggest party of their lives and then followed by a pretty tame evening. Mm. Having read the 50 Years of Rip Curl book, I heard that their media party in particular gets a lot of attention and it goes pretty pretty wild. It's like three or four days to recover from that one. So. Yeah, I, I was on a photo shoot in Canberra and was coming back at about 10.30 at night, so I'd had everything set up for everyone and it, the night just had to go and I was walking up the driveway about 10.30 and I couldn't really hear like a lot of noise. I'm thinking, oh, this is a bit strange. And I, I swore I'd walk in here and there'd be people walking across the top of the fermenters or hanging from the rafters <laughs> or up in the, you know, somewhere. They, and I, walk, I walked in and went, okay, 
not what I expected. <laughs> Bunch of people asleep on the floor. No, they were all they were fantastic. Good, oh, good. good group of people. It's it's nice to to live in a community like this where you know yeah. we did have we did have Quicksilver across the road and Rip Curl guys there, Patagonia guys. Yeah. Just just across the road here. Yeah, um, there's that real culture and legacy of creativity and entrepreneurship, and even your role. You're the is it the tourism CEO or commissioner for Torquay? President. President. <laughs> I was, was, was going to see if you were going to add anything else here for Commerce Turkey. So it's the local chamber of commerce. Yeah. Yep. So obviously a part of the strategy there is to carry on the legacy left by companies like Rip Curl, Quicksilver, and to foster that industry of creativity. I read a stat the other day that the Surf Coast Shire is the fourth most intensive industry, or the most intensive area for creative industries in Australia. Part of your role is to carry the torch for those industries, for creatives? Hopefully, yep. hopefully. Um, put a structure in place that new creatives can come through and new, new companies can come through and set up in this environment. Yeah. It would be great. And, up, and part of it is to help support the, the ones that are already here. Yeah, and the local podcasts mm -hmm. as well, which we really appreciate. No problems. I understand you probably have to get back to making beer and doing all sorts of things. Uh, so delivering beer today. Delivering beer. Yeah. <laughs> So just we've touched on business quite a bit. We can talk briefly about health, mindset, inspiration. We came in here today eating a nice salad <laughs> that you look like you made from home. You look like a pretty fit guy. Is health a big part of your life? Staying fit and active? Just being active yep. has always been. Um, the sort of photography I did was extra exceptionally uh, physical. I'm the guy who would run into places or climb trees or run up, up the side of mountains or hang out off of uh, helicopters or stuff like that. Swim in the, swim in the ocean, swim in rivers. I posted a photo this morning of um, a training shot I saw the other day. There's a lie on the bottom of pools. Hold your breath and put weights on and lay, lay down in the bottom of a pool and take pictures of swimmers going over the top of you. Oh, really? Yeah. So you were doing that? Yeah. So, really? Okay did that with sailing as well. So there's still this requirement to be quite fit, strong? Just the activity itself yeah. kept to that. So I'm probably the least fit I've ever been in my life right now yeah. and, and feeling it. Um, I am happy that golf starts tomorrow. <laughs> already have a, already have a tea time, so I'll go for a nice walk. <laughs> Perfect. Both my partner, her and I went for a, a 12 and a half K walk on Sunday, try and get up for a surf or a ride or a run. I need, yeah. to, I need to be a lot fitter. Need to be a lot fitter. So keeping active. Um, inspiration. Who inspires you in this world? Is it people locally or is it a photographer or is it family? Kids or your kids, kids. Once you have kids, they'll always inspire you if you're looking for people. I've always looked for information, I've always found people informative. But there's very few people that I've looked at and just gone, I completely admire everything about you. And you're wearing a Patagonia jacket, and one of the people in my life that I've always followed and have always mirrored is Yvonne Chouinard. Yep. He's a phenomenal human being. And yep. you look, we grew up in a world of having, you know, him, uh, some of the thinkers that we've had in our lives to think of you know dr david suzuki and mm -hmm. you know even watching the thing on david attenborough you think when those guys go the people who have really cared about the the planet or the environment or 
people um, as a whole, what are we going to be left with? Because there's not many people following behind them. Yeah, that is very true. And there's a brilliant documentary on the, the founders of Patagonia and the North Face. And they get together and back when they were buddies and they travelled the world and surfing and they started out making rock climbing equi equipment and then next minute a couple of billion dollar brands being Pat one Patagonia and the other North Face. So got a brilliant story. We'll put that in the show notes afterward. I um, was fortunate enough to work with a company um, called uh, Adventure Photo and Film, which is which was based um, in Ventura, California. And the guy who had that up also happens to be married to Yvonne's, I think it's his cousin or sister or something, and they're best mates. And he does all of the uh, guided tours and stuff for him. His name is Rick Ridgeway. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to, to meet him. So he walked me in and across. And as you walk through, like, their, their compound where Patagonia is, it's an, wow. an amazing, amazing building. It's one of the few big companies in the world. You, you actually look at where they're working and how they're working. You go, I, I, I want to work here. Yeah. So you walk past, and they, there's this little dirty old shed in the middle of their compound. And it's the original shed where you first started. And they built everything around it. Yep. So they never forget where they came where from. They came from. That's pretty cool. Have you got similar ambitions for the Bells Beach Brewing Company, or do you want to stay small and niche here on the coast? Well, we don't have we have no plans to uh, become a Lion Nathan and yep. take on the world and that. We're pretty happy with what we're doing. Yes, we need to expand, and yes, we want to get our beers out to more people, but in good time. Yep. And finally. It's great to hear who inspires you there. It's always good to get that insight from guys who've been there, done that, and still get inspiration from other people. Mm. Um, any final advice for our target market? Obviously, creative entrepreneurs on the surf coast that might be you know, side hustlers, freelancers, who might be thinking about taking that leap from full-time work to following their passion. What's your number one piece of advice for those people? Hold your nerve and don't do anything for a credit. Don't do anything for a credit mm. in terms of getting your name on yeah. the newspaper, yeah. Instagram. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to do something and it's that's your job, remember it is your job and you need to be paid for your job. I think there's, that's... I was going to say, there's an amazing amount of people who think if I give stuff to people, I'll get recognized. The amount of people who still approach me and say, can I use your photo and I'll put, I'll put a credit on it for you. It's good, but I can't take a credit to the bank and, and cash it and, and, and use it for anything. So it does me no good. Okay. Well, I think very good advice, and we'll put that in the show in the quotes at the end and promote that on, ironically, on social media. <laughs> give you credit. No, I, I think <laughs> social I, media is 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 good part of your overall plan, yep. but it can't be your plan. It has to be more about your heart and soul and what you're putting mm. to the business. Yeah. yeah, you have to be you have to be authentic. In one of the one of the things I was thinking about with the photography, the way we got business in photography yep. is we charged the exact same price as everyone else. But what we did is we changed the technical quality of our stuff, and we put it to a level that people either had to move to our level, or they got left behind. And quite frankly, nobody rose to that level. So. If people wanted to have good pictures, 
yep. we were the only ones who invested in it. So in the early days, so in 91, I hired, which is now the Lexus Center. It was the state's sports center. Yep. We actually hired that for three days and had our own lights, photography lights installed in it. So really? all the indoor sport that happened there, yeah. we had, it was basically a small studio. And you move later on when they opened up the tennis center, we had the same thing, just got bigger sets. Sort of like what they do in professional sports in the US, put the big lights in. But we were the only ones out here doing that. So that was the lengths you were prepared to go to, hmm. to deliver for clients and deliver a high quality product yep. for a similar price. To yep, didn't, and never, uh, never dealt on price. Yep. I'd never talked positive or negatively about um, other people. Yep. So we went to s see somebody, it was always about them and or us. It was never about anyone else. So you never talk ne negatively about your competitors? Yeah, yeah. you still want to do it here. You know, people yep. want to see that there's a, uh, a rivalry between you, us, and, 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 Black and, and Blackmans, for instance. Yeah. We can't say enough nice things about the guys. Yeah. You know, they, they're a big reason why we're here and operating. You know, they've been a wonderful support. So we opened up with one with, with their beer on tap and um, we keep their cider on tap okay. for the most part. People go, ah, it's Blackman's. It's like, ah, it's good cider. Drink it. <laughs> <laughs> That's another piece of advice we've got there, I think, a really good piece of advice because I think especially when you're part of a small community, it can, that, can be that tendency to sort of compete with other companies, especially companies in the same industry. So. Mm. It's good to hear that you don't go around bad-mouthing other companies and not bad-mouthing, but not even, you know, being critical of other no, companies and the way no, they operate. No reason to. Doing your thing, putting your heart and soul into it and letting it be. Mm. Jeff Crow, really appreciate your time for our ep episode two. We're only young and obviously only our second episode. So well, I look forward to hearing many more episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully not too many with my voice on them. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've been great. I understand it was your first podcast today. Yeah. So, you know, you're a really busy man as well. Um, I know you had meetings all, all morning this morning. You've got to run the, the Bells Beach Brewing Company as well. So been, been talking since 7.15 this morning and it's now... <laughs> Uh, what is it? You probably absolutely had a gutful of talking, so time to do some <laughs> deliveries. And yes. Probably some guys out there and investors waiting for their deliveries. So. It's all good. I, I appreciate this and I actually appreciate what you're trying to do or doing for the, the creative community here in Torquay. Yeah, well, it's our privilege to bring people's stories to life, so we thank you very much for your, your time today and onwards and upwards. Get yourself into the Bells Bridge Brewing Company for a drink. Jeff Crow, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. Cheers. Cheers.